Hey, listen, if you've been around a while, you know that uh, I've been slowly going through the Sermon on the Mount. And I might make it through the sermon before I go to be with the Lord, but we'll see. Uh, And uh, we've made it all the way to chapter 6, and a couple months ago we talked about personal righteousness or piety, and how Jesus tells us that we should not let our personal righteousness, we shouldn't be doing that to be seen by others, to to be appreciated by others. And last month we talked about giving, and the reason, the true reasons to be giving. Okay, again, not for personal, but for His glory. Today we're going to move on to the subject of prayer. Okay, and Jesus thought a lot about prayer. Okay, and He spent a significant amount of time in the sermon on prayer. And so we're going to do the same. We might have a little mini-series on prayer, maybe three or four sessions on it, because it's that important. Uh, Now, I'm going to try to use this. I haven't done this before, so we'll see if this works, you know, uh, with the technology. Uh, Not only do we have those kind of problems, but we've got these kind of problems with technology today. Uh, We'll start today in chapter 6, starting at verse 5, where it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, When the topic of prayer comes up, most people will nod and say, yeah, that's something Christians you know, do or should do anyway. Uh, uh, but, and if you ask, what did Jesus say about prayer? You know, people might refer to this passage and several others. Okay? But if you were to ask, how did Jesus teach us to pray? You might just get a blank stare. Uh, you see, in our country, thankfully, we can still pray Openly, although even that right is being squeezed at present. Uh, But, you know, Christians throughout the world pray. And because prayer is so much a part of us, is just so generic to Christianity, we sometimes fail to see the significance of a passage like this. Uh, And so we want today to just take a look at what does this passage really mean? Now, One positive you might assume about a message like this is, what can the guy up front say about prayer that's going to offend me? Well, it's early still. You see, in a personal and very private sense, this is one of, if not the most convicting, humbling, and searching passages in Scripture You just don't see it. I urge you to hear this out. Uh, uh, I may make some statements today about things that you do or have done, and frankly that I have, have done, that may appear critical. But I want you to think about what is Jesus' message throughout all these things. It's what's on the inside. It's the heart that, that counts. Uh, 
And so my study of this passage has significantly altered the way that I look at prayer. And I hope it does for you too. The first thing we notice is, just like giving, Jesus presupposed that we would pray. It's not if, but when you give. And now, when you pray, that we're talking about here. Now, if you call yourself a Christian, and you are not regularly praying, you need to talk to someone. You need to get some help, because this is part and parcel of being a follower of Christ. Okay? Really, I mean that. But even if you are regularly praying, perhaps you have not really looked at what this passage is saying and gotten the main point. Most who read this passage just assume that Jesus is once again exposing the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, And it starts out well for those folks. It says they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. Well, first, there's not a thing wrong with standing when you pray. Jews did that customarily. Not a thing wrong with praying regularly. There's not even a thing wrong with praying publicly, even on the street corners, with the right motive. Now, take us. Okay? You know, it is generally a good thing to uh, give thanks to those who have given you something, like food, like at a restaurant. Now, remember what Jesus impliedly had said through the Sermon on the Mount. You are to hide when you're tempted to show. That's Matthew 6. And you are to show, let your light shine, when you're tempted to hide. That's Matthew 5. So, if you go to the restaurant and you dig into your Big Mac without nodding your head in thanks, because maybe it's awkward, maybe it'll be offensive to somebody, you just might be tempted to hide. Or worse, you might be ashamed of the Gospel. You see, you know, you can be offensive if you pray really out loud about the, the little Tasmanian devils in the next booth, but, you know, if you're, you know, you've got to understand, prayer in public is one of the few ways that people outside the church realize that the church still exists, that there's Christians out there. Uh, what Jesus is exposing here is the true motive of the, of the Pharisees in praying in the synagogues and the streets in order to be seen by others. Um, it's neither prayer nor the one to whom they're praying that they love, but themselves and the attention that they get from their public prayer. So the picture we get here is of a dignified, pharisaical type with a long robe. Or today, it might be a nice suit with a tie and a, and a little, uh, what do you call those things in the, in the pocket there? You know, a handkerchief you know, that's really fancy. Okay, and uh, you know, we hear these eloquent prayers up front and we go, man, this guy is just all full of himself. Can you believe this guy? I mean, I, I, mean, I don't have his hair, but I would never pray like that. And it's at that moment 
that I have missed the whole purpose of this passage. See, what Jesus is talking about here is not primarily the Pharisees in, in, in chapter 6. He's talking instead about the terrible effects of sin upon the human soul in the form of my pride. Now, if you're like me when you read this passage for the first time, or maybe even the umpteenth time, you really didn't see that coming. Uh, sin does not just afflict us when we are separated from God, when we're apart from God, but sin gets us when we are close to God. It dogs us into the very presence of God. When did sin first raise its ugly head? You know, most people say at the fall, right? Well, think. Lucifer, that perfect bright angel, was in the presence of God and he fell before man fell. We tend to think of sin only in terms of what we do, our actions. That's a mistake. You see, the Bible teaches us that sin is a condition of the heart. So it involves, instead of worshiping God, it involves worshiping ourselves. It may show itself in sinful, damaging, hurtful actions, but it does not have to. Now, this is a terrifying thought that our sinful pride follows us into our prayers. Now, we may be able to persuade somebody that we are really praying spiritually when in reality, we may be only worshiping ourselves. You know, you guys are aware that the world says you must stand up and praise yourself or nobody else will. But for the Christian, for the follower of Christ... The highest position or posture is on our knees. There is nothing more noble than that. And Jesus warns us that sin is so contaminating that when we engage in this highest form of activity, we must still battle sin. We tend to see sin in the the rough back alleys of life, like bars and gentlemen's clubs and abortion clinics and crack houses, in adultery or fornication or sodomy. We may even see it in just pride and anger. Yeah, it is there. But the essence of sin is present even when people do none of these things. Rather, when a person gets on her knees and prays with thoughts of self-adulation, that I'm doing something that's really spiritual, I'm fulfilling a duty to God, there it is. In, in the presence of God, in the highest form of our worship. So, the overall point here is this. When Christians engage in what we call piety, maybe you call it your religious life or your Christian walk, this is supposed to demonstrate the New Testament doctrine of regeneration, where we have a new nature, a new man is in us. But what Jesus tells us here is that even if we're saved, even if we have this new nature, we must take care, even in this highest activity, lest we become guilty of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. So the simplest way 
to understand this passage is to take a look at what Jesus does at both false prayer and true prayer and see what he says. Well, okay. (laughs) Maybe Josh can get it to work because I told you, I warned you. All right. You've got a sheet. It's on your sheet there anyway. Um, uh, False prayer focuses on itself. That one. Okay. All right. Um, And there uh, in the passage, it says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So those who pray the wrong way bring attention to themselves. They focus on the one praying rather than the one to whom prayer is offered. Uh, Jesus gives us an illustration in, uh, in Luke 18. I think Mike referred to this a few weeks ago about the Pharisee and the publican. And there you have the Pharisee uh, standing Uh, by himself, prayed thusly, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. You know, I I fast twice a week. Hear that? Two times. And I give tithes of all that I get. You know, pretty obvious. But this can show up in other ways. You know, one can have a desire to be known as a praying man or a praying woman. It's great to be a praying man or a praying woman, but it's not so great to have a desire to be known for such. Okay? You might, have a, you might develop an actual a blatant or a subtle desire to be seen in prayer. You know, the, prayer, the Pharisees prayed in obvious fashion on the street corners and in the, in the temple. But if it's our heart's desire to be noticed in prayer, uh, we might find more discreet ways of doing that. We might actually go into our prayer closet, you know, a real private place where nobody can see us. But then remember all the people we've told that we're going to be in our prayer closet. Uh, I'm not saying that prayer that is seen by somebody is somehow wrong. Not at all. But if the positive becomes a negative, if we seek attention, the subtle trap snaps on us. Secondly, we want to focus on... Good, it worked. Uh, We want to focus... um, We don't want to focus on form. That's what false prayer sometimes does. The second aspect uh, assumes that the effectiveness of our prayer depends on the amount of prayer or upon a particular way of praying. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases or vain repetition in the King James as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. One way this happens is by a thing called prayer wheels. And I think the idea is you've got a bunch of things around the prayer, the wheel, and you pray about those things around and around over and over again. Uh, we see the same thing in, uh, with, with the Catholic tradition of counting beads when you pray. Uh, but again, there may be more subtle ways of doing that. You know, I tend to operate by a schedule where I get up in the morning, have my quiet time, spend time with Christy and time with the kids. Uh, and that's all good. You know, Daniel prayed three times a day. Nothing wrong with that. 
But if my goal becomes praying at a set time, that's not true prayer. My routine can emasculate my prayer life, in other words. Another subtlety is that we might set out to pray a certain amount of time. Now, it is a great thing to pray for a long period of time. However, when I keep my eye on the clock, or I remember how long I spent in prayer, you know, that's what we call false prayer. Uh, If it's my goal for people to know that I pray at regular times or great amounts of time, uh, Jesus says I may succeed, but I have my reward. You know, they know. That's it. If If it's one's goal to be known for offering wonderful public prayers, one can certainly accomplish that. But, poor soul, that's all he gets. On the other hand, a poor, broken, and contrite soul who cries out to her God in pain will connect with and be rewarded with far more than that wonderful public prayer will ever know. So this helps keep this, uh, this teaching in balance here. You know, some may take this to the extreme and conclude that we should never pray at great lengths or never in public uh, and to interpret this passage that way would be a mistake. You know, we see in Luke 18 also uh, the parable about the widow who comes over and over again to the unjust judge. And he refuses her, sends her away, and finally he gives up and he gives in to her and he's, and so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming, says the, the judge. And the Lord said, Here the unrighteous judge says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, one could take Luke 11 too literally and go in the other direction and reason that if we pray persistently, we should expect to receive our request, our blessings, proportionate to the length or the number of our prayers. But if we take these two passages in in balance and with sensitivity, we'll understand that Matthew 6 is not talking about praying too much, but about those who have the attitude of the heart that they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. And Luke 18 is not about praying too little, but it's about the tendency of believers to give up when they don't get exactly what they prayed for when they wanted it. Okay? Uh, Verse 1 of Luke 18 says, He told them this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. We need to remember that Jesus prayed in public, but he prayed a lot more in private. He sometimes prayed with brevity, but he also held all-night prayer vigils. Again, this is about the heart, not about the form. Now, please, let's not get all wrapped around the axle about this situation or what that person does or whatever. We're going to go right now into a very simple way for us to avoid second-guessing ourselves. And we want to talk about true prayer. Good. There's an essential principle here that we've got to understand. And that is when we pray, 
we are approaching the Almighty God. And therefore, whether public or private, our whole being is focused, is paying attention to, is intent upon Him and Him only. Okay? Now, how do you do that? First, you exclude. When you pray, go into your room or your closet, the traditional version, and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Now, contrary to some belief, this does not prohibit prayer meetings, which are encouraged and exemplified in Scripture as part of body life. Instead, what it means is when we approach God, we are to exclude certain things. By entering into my closet, I am to exclude all thoughts that would distract from Him. My mind shouldn't be wandering. I shouldn't be thinking about what, he, what other people think about my praying. Now, you don't forget about other people. It's a good thing to pray for other people and for yourself. But we should never be concerned about imp- impressing others or gaining their approval. Well, that's others. But remember how selfish and prideful I am. When I pray... I must exclude even myself. Now, how do you do that when you're the one praying? Well, what we mean here is that when we pray, we must resist the temptation to think how wonderful we are for praying or how blessed God is to be listening to us. That's what we mean. Uh, We can pray when we're alone completely and nobody sees us. But we can also enter our closet when we're walking down a busy street or just walking around the house and all the little banshees are screaming. Right, moms? We can even pray then. We can even pray in our closet publicly, even from the pulpit, as long as we remember that we're not praying to those folks out there Praying to Almighty God. That's the whole point here. And we resist the temptation of pride in our prayers. So, when we pray, we've got to remind ourselves to exclude. we're praying, we're in the presence of God, we exclude all distractions. Secondly, we want to realize. Somebody scream if it's not going up right. Realize what? That we are in the presence of of the great and mighty one. Yeah, how do you do that? Well, just a suggestion. You may want to be thinking before you start to pray. I am entering into the chamber of the great I am. He's a burning fire. He's all light and no darkness. And he knows every thought and intent of my heart. That's an awesome and even intimidating thought. But please don't be intimidated because God, through Jesus, tells us that He wants us to look at Him as a child comes to His or her Father. Father, we are to pray to Your Father who is in secret. Your Father sees in secret and will reward you. And Your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. So regardless of what your relationship with your earthly father was or is, 
Your heavenly Father knows you and me through and through. He cares for, He looks after, He desires to bless His children beyond what they desire to be blessed. He is the Father who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. We are to realize that when we cry, Abba, Father, the Holy Spirit will witness with our spirit that we are His children. I made a note here to talk about spontaneous prayer. You know, when something happens and all of a sudden you just lift up a prayer, you know, some people call it a flare prayer, you know, but, and you don't have time to think these great thoughts about God and how awesome He is. Well, let me ask you a question. If you had your little one playing on the, on the playground and you're sitting with your friend talking and all of a sudden a stranger grabs and drags your little one away to a car, would you want them to call out, Mommy! Daddy! Well, your Heavenly Father wants you to do the very same thing. He desires you to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we have the time, we want to understand where we are. Finally, we need to have confidence. When we confide in another, we trust them. We know that they love us and they care about us and they're going to do what's best for us. And therefore, you and I are to have childlike confidence or faith that God is truly our Father and He will tell us or cause to happen to us what is best. So we need to throw aside any notion that our repetitive petitions will somehow produce a blessing. Instead, He wants to hear our anxiety in our desires. He wants us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. He wants His children to pray and faint not and to pray without ceasing. This is not mechanical repetition or bunches of words. Rather, we must have confidence that He really is our Father. He's waiting to bless us. He's always concerned about our welfare. He has purchased our ultimate good by the blood of Jesus on the cross. But with all that to back up our confidence, we, we must know that He will hear our prayers and do what is best for us. It might be an imperfect, but perhaps a helpful analogy to think about our parent-child relationships. Okay? Fathers, moms and dads really like for children to come and ask them you know, when they want something. Okay? rather than just to presume that they will know what their little heart's desires and give it to them without them even asking. Well, part of that is born out of a desire to be respected as a parent, right? But another part is born out of a desire to relate to, to communicate with, to form a tighter bond by having interaction with your child. And our Heavenly Father is the very same. He desires that we keep on coming to Him in prayer to honor Him, but also so that we might have a closer and closer relationship with Him. That He might get to know us and we Him more and more and more. So, to boil this down, we need to exclude all distractions, all thoughts, even ourselves, and focus only on Him when we pray. We must realize that we're in His presence. It is an awesome presence, but He is a loving 
Father and He cares about us. And in confidence, make our request unto our Father, knowing that He he already knows what we need before we ask Him. Why do we do this? Because the Father who sees in secret will, He will reward. He will reward you and me when we come in humility. Father, we just give you all praise and glory and we thank you, Lord, for your love. Lord God, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We just pray now that you would be with each and every one here who calls himself your child, that you would give them the heart to seek you and you only in prayer regularly. Don't be that we should not be worried about what other people think and about what we look like or anything like that, but we just come to you and you're the only one we care about. Lord, please, please give us this heart. Help us to to have true prayer, true communion, true fellowship, true relationship with you. Thank you, Father, for your love and your blessings. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.